Father, this morning, we just come to you, Father, for the joy you give your children in the midst of everything that happens in and around us. The world did not give us this joy. The world cannot take this joy. The peace that you give us in the midst of turmoil. Because the world did not give us this peace. And we will not let the world take that peace. He said, my peace, I live with you. And we will hold on to that peace, Lord, until the hour of your coming. Even this morning, I speak that peace into every heart here. Whatever burden they have come with, whatever struggle they are going through, whatever oppression they are facing, I speak peace. Because you are the answer. You are the only answer. And you are the only answer we need. Because your word says, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. Today, even as we wait here for the ministry of the word, we call upon the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, you will speak. I pray, Lord, our ears will hear. I pray, God, our hearts will believe. I pray, God, we'll take little steps of obedience that we may experience your life, not tomorrow, but today, even now. Thank you, Father. Speak to us, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. For this morning, the first text we look at is from Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 25 to 29. 25 to 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, not me, but the voice of the Spirit as you hear. Every time you read your Bible, you hear a message, whatever it is, the voice of him who speaks, don't refuse him. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth... Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. What makes our times in which we live real prophetic end times? What makes our times differ from every other time before is not that there wasn't wars or tribulation before. What makes our time is media. We are in the midst of trouble in any part of the world and instantly you know it, which never happened in the world. I have asked my grandparents about the Second World War and all. They said, if they heard on the radio, they knew it hardly affected them. It didn't affect them. 
Okay. You ask them about so many things, the old generation, 80 plus, 90 plus, they will tell you, it didn't affect them. Though we read in history, the greatest calamity the world has ever known. It didn't mean much to so many people, but not now. Now it's a different age. We live because. And why? Because the day of the Lord is coming closer and closer and closer. And scripture says, he's shaking everything. Why should God shake? To remove those things that bring no profit for God. Remember, this is all about God. It's not about us. He is the creator. This is his creation, including us and everything that does not bring profit to the creator. He will ultimately dispose of. The things that cannot be shaken, the things of God built on solid foundations. That's why we've been looking at foundations. Alone ultimately will remain. So that we may receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom that cannot be shaken, the only kingdom that cannot be shaken is the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus told the Pharisees and all the others who questioned him in Luke 17 and verse. When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. He said, in verse 21, he said, nor will they say here, Or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. If the kingdom of God is not within you, honestly, you will be shaken by the events that are going to unfold. Unfold. People will be shaken. Shaken. Really, really shaken. One image always, every time I see a bomb blast in Nice or in... Istanbul or Orlando or everywhere, everywhere. One picture you see is the people fleeing in fear. Everywhere, one picture. Everybody is running, running. And what you see the cops tell you is run, run, run. You know, fear. And God says, you know what, don't look here and there. The kingdom of God is within you. That kingdom cannot be shaken by events. That's why the gospel, Jesus calls, himself calls the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Young men, eyes here. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. It was never connected with this world. The gospel was never connected with this world. It is called the gospel of the kingdom. He said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom. Though we hear a gospel which is not about the kingdom, it's about this world. It's not the gospel. The gospel was always about God's kingdom. It was the introduction. The gospel is an introduction. The gospel Jesus preached and told his apostles to preach and asked us to preach is an introduction of a new kingdom which the mankind didn't know. A new life and an invitation to that life. And that kingdom is called the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of the devil. It is not the kingdom of men. Both people are familiar with. People of every religion is familiar with the kingdom of the devil. That's why they do occult and all. Because they know there are powers of darkness. There is power there. They know about that kingdom. Experientially, most people know. Everybody knows. In India, everybody knows. That's why you have chili tied up over there. Only to ward of evil. You think it's not real? It is real. They know that there are powers of darkness. And then they have to be appeased. We don't need chilies. We don't need lemons. We just need the blood of Jesus. But to apply the blood of Jesus, you need to know the kingdom. 
If you don't know the kingdom and you imitate somebody, it doesn't work. That's what the difference. There's a kingdom of the devil, there are kingdoms of men. People are familiar with both. But Jesus was preaching a completely different kingdom. An entry was only by invitation. And everybody was invited. To see, spiritually see, perceive, it took literally John 3.3. He says, unless you are born again. He says it will take literally a new birth to even see that kingdom. Outside a new birth, it doesn't matter what degrees you have, how wise you are, how intellectual you are, what understanding you have, you cannot see that kingdom. Cannot, he said, it's not. It will take, he says, a new birth. You need to be born again from above. He says to enter into that kingdom, he says in 3, 5, he says, you need to be born again by water, that is the word of God, and by God's own spirit. Otherwise, he said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It is impossible, he says. You know man can enter into the kingdom of God unless by the supernatural work of God himself, his son and his spirit, the water and the spirit. He says, it is not possible. So before a person is born again, it is like the baby in the womb. It's a dark world. And it is asleep. The only reality for that baby is this. The darkness and the comfort. And it's comfortable. If nature does not set its own course and pushes the baby out, the baby won't come. And baby is very comfortable there. But God has set certain things in motion so when full term comes, the baby has to come out. Honestly, the baby is not very happy to come out. Because it's very comfortable with the previous life in the womb, which is dark and it's comfortable. And so many people in the world are like the baby in the womb. It's dark and they're comfortable. It's dark. This world is spiritually dark. But when you are blind, darkness doesn't matter. It's comfortable. It doesn't matter. If you are blind, you are not looking for switches. You're not looking for light. You're like the baby in the womb. But there is a problem with that baby in the womb. It is very comfortable in that darkness. Very comfortable with that ignorance. Very comfortable with that life. But if that baby is not born, it will die in the womb. It has to be born. It will die. So the reality is this. For people of every part of the world... If you are not born again, the reality is one day you will die. It's a reality. That is why the urgency and the zeal with which Jesus and the disciples went to the ends of the world and preached the gospel of the kingdom telling men and women, be born again. Because you cannot live in this womb forever. Because this womb has been judged by death already. 
So as we draw closer and closer and closer to the day that has been set for judgment, which is called by different names, but the day of the Lord, the common name, you will also see the uncertainty increase. There is uncertainty increasing, not certainty. Uncertainty is increasing. In Zechariah, many prophets spoke about that day, all prophets. All the Old Testament prophets practically spoke about it. Zechariah 14 and verse 6 and 7. It shall come to pass in that day. In that day. When the day of the Lord is right over here, when it's so close, there will be no light. There will be no light. The lights will diminish. Instead of the light going up, the lights will diminish. This is the age in which scriptural knowledge, scriptural information is available like no other age. But the lights have actually gone down, not gone up. It will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but evening time it shall happen that it will be light. It's a very strange construction. This is a day that is neither light, day nor night. Right? That's what I'm saying. This seems to be the age of all ages. The age of light. The age of democracy. The age of civil rights. The age of innovations and technology and knowledge exploding. In terms of advancement, man should be living in the best and the most peaceful time ever. Yet, exactly the opposite is happening. That's what scripture says. Opposite. Yet, scripture says, at, yeah, yeah, no, 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 the same one. Yet, at even time, verse 7, at evening time, it shall happen that it will be light. Scripture is strange. It doesn't go with our way of thinking. It goes with God's way of thinking. It looks strange to us because we try to understand scripture through our perspective without using scripture to interpret scripture. How can it be light at evening? The reason is, if you read Genesis 1 onwards, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. God doesn't look at day like the way we look. He looks at day the other way. The evening and the morning is the day. So evening, scripture says, it will be light. Meaning evening is the harbinger to the new day that is going to dawn. And God says, that's how you need to look. Before the morning or light comes, it gets darker and darker, then plunging into total darkness, and then light breaks. So the darker you see civil society heading into, those who are born in the kingdom knows the day is so close. The morning is about to break. This happens throughout if you study scripture. In it says history too. Just before the redemption from Egypt, Egypt was plunged into total darkness. Then light 
burst forth and Israel was delivered and they marched out triumphantly. The day of great darkness. Now this is not talking about physical darkness because God knows we are so innovative. Physical darkness doesn't matter to us. We have 101 gadgets now by which we will create artificial light. So he's not talking about physical darkness. He's talking about spiritual, moral, ethical darkness. Day of great darkness. Why? Why is great of great darkness? Because the heavens are being shaken. Remember the beginning? Heavens, meaning the spiritual realm is being shaken. So spiritual darkness is spreading. And God allows it. This is going to be the greatest, darkest period. Greatest in terms of darkness. Ever. And God is allowing it. Are you getting the picture? See, physical darkness doesn't matter much. Spiritual darkness is dangerous. And we know, we have studied scripture, we know from Isaac and Jacob. Isaac also became blind. He lost sight. But that was physical darkness. But the danger was he lost spiritual sight. Losing your spiritual sight is terrible. Because when he lost his spiritual sight, along with his physical sight, what happened? There came a darkness into his soul that he was willing to go against the revealed plan of God. And he told Esau, come here, feed me, I will bless you. Years later, Jacob is also blind. He is dark, physical darkness has come. And his prophetic son, Joseph, brings his two grandchildren to before him and says, dad, bless them. But his spiritual eyes are so keen and aware, he crosses his hands and puts the younger one ahead of the elder. And Joseph says, dad, what you are doing? He says, I know what I am doing. It's not talking about physical darkness. It is talking about spiritual darkness. And that's what we need to be. I know if you are spiritual, physical darkness is uh, increasing, don't worry. Go to the ophthalmologist or to the eye doctor. He will give you better lenses. But spiritually your sight is not improving. Be careful. Because the times we are living in and we are moving into is dangerous. But scripture talks about a set of people who will see when the greatest darkness comes. Isaiah 60 verse 2 also will say, 1 and 2, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. When? For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. When darkness upon darkness is covering the earth in every sphere of life, God says, you will see. And you will see clearly. And the deep darkness, what? The people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. He says, you will see very clearly. How will you see in the midst of this darkness? Because he himself will arise over you and you will be able to discern what is right and what is wrong. Joel, the prophet Joel saw it and warns us in Joel 2, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. Was he talking to Israel? No, he's not talking to Israel. He's talking to us. And what does he say? A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. 
in the midst of this darkness something else is happening a people come great and strong the like of whom has never been nor will there ever be any such after them even for many successive generations is is in the midst of darkness a set of people of light will arise a generation like never seen before So for us it is not a message of darkness and gloom for us it's a message of light and hope because remember stars shine the brightest in the darkest hour but we are called in that time called to blow the trumpet that's a prophetic message what is blowing the trumpet the day of the lord is near the day of the lord is near what does that mean meaning jesus is coming back soon he's coming he's almost here he's almost at hand it's so he's at the door he's almost here that's the prophetic message every message in the bible is about jesus and about his coming if the old testament was basically about his coming to save mankind the second message is about him coming to judge mankind the whole message of the bible is about him coming that's why in revelation 19 and verse 20 no not that one where it says uh, uh, um, the prophetic message uh, the message of the uh, the bible is prophecy is the spirit of jesus testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy okay it's there in revelation i just probably wrote it wrong okay maybe it's 920 but it's okay scripture says in the book of revelation that the the spirit of prophecy what is the spirit of prophecy we hear prophecies all the time what is the spirit of prophecy the spirit of prophecy the whole bible is prophetic the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of jesus meaning the whole bible is prophetic talking about either the first coming of jesus or the second coming of jesus and asking people to be prepared and to be ready and for those people who are prepared for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy that's the testimony of jesus the whole bible is that preparing preparing for those who are prepared it's a time of incredible joy for those who are not prepared it's a time of incredible fear it's a terrible day for those who are not prepared that's what words to of joel will say it's a day of darkness and gloominess darkness and gloominess yet in the midst of this darkness and gloominess another people are coming another set of people are there and god says that's to what he is called and why is it a time of darkness and gloominess i personally believe this okay don't make it into doctrine do i believe it is doctrine that in the last days and i believe in our days that satan and his demonic angels who are in the second realm third heaven god second realm the devil and we are here they will be cast down they were cast down from heaven to the second realm from the second realm they will be cast down to earth they won't be allowed the second realm also meaning devil and all his angelic hosts in this last days when the heavens are being shaken will be cast down to earth and the world will see darkness and demonic oppression like never ever seen 
I believe that's what Revelation 12 verses 7 to 9 is talking about. The shaking in heaven. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail. Nor was the place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth. He was not cast to the earth in the first place. First place he was cast down into the heavens. Second heaven. That's the day when God looks and he doesn't say it is good. Every other day he says it's good. That day he doesn't say it is good because there is a realm. Okay. Remember when the angel had to come, Prince of Persia stopped him. The answer for Daniel. It's another realm. Okay, Don't think in physical space. God's answer coming through an angel to Daniel. But the angel, the spirit of Persia stops him for 21 days. The fight is going on here because this realm is controlled by them. That's why we are called to pray in the spirit. Because in the spirit you cut through and reach God. Because the devil cannot stop in the spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit, God says, He will pray through you and cut through that realm. That's why we are called to pray in the Spirit. Prayer with understanding has its own effects, but may not be effective after some point if you do not use spiritual principles because this realm blocks it. But a time is going to come where the demonic hosts have been controlling this realm for centuries and millennium, maybe we do not know, are going to be cast down from there to the earth. And then ultimately from there to the abyss and from the abyss to the lake of fire. They are also moving down. And we are called to move up. Okay? Understand what is happening. And we see the effects in the physical realm. Yet, in the midst of all this, God is preparing an army of overcomers. Like the world has never seen. Because if a generation can survive this, and not just survive, defeat it and come through, they will be the greatest world has ever seen. So if you are born in the last days, it is not an accident, it is a privilege. It's a privilege. You can say, Lord, I just thank you. I was not born in my father's or grandfather's time. I'm here in the last time because you have a plan and a purpose for me that I could be counted among the greatest overcomers. Because God doesn't, there's no accidents in God's plan. So the children of God has to see it differently, not the way the world sees it. Because a lot of people will think, oh, I wish I was born in the 1950s for what? Oh, those that how do we romantically use the good old days? No, God says. God says no. For us, the days that are coming may be terrible, but those are the days of battle, those are the days of victory, those are the days of honor. That's what Joel 2 is talking about. He says God is preparing a people come great and strong. Isaiah 60 talks about the same thing. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. When? When, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you. When darkness is covering the earth, who arises over you? God arises over you. He says, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed by all that is happening. Okay, 
You know, prophetically you look at all these places. You saw in Revelation 12, Satan is cast down to the earth from the second realm. Demonic host is going to be released. And what does the next verses say? Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Immediate verses. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast out. Look at it. What does it mean? Here is the devil and the demonic host, billions of them, cast down literally onto the earth. They are influencing everything in the world. People are blinded. Darkness has taken over everything. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. Everything is permissible except what is true and right. Everything has been taken over. And God says, in heaven, another cry is rising. What is the cry? Oh, salvation and strength. The kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. Connected with that. Next verse. They overcame him. The last generation living on earth. They overcame him. They said, we are ready to face and overcome the worst the devil has to bring. And we will overcome. They overcame him. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of the testimony. And they did not. They were not afraid of death. And the whole angelic host said, this is the generation we were looking for. Glory, honor and power to the king of kings. They have brought it. One generation has risen who have overcome. And God says, if you and I are that generation, he says, don't be dismayed. Don't be upset. This is the day prophets in the past looked for. For overcomers will arise who will defeat all these powers of darkness at their worst, at at their highest. So it is going to be a time of testing like never before. Time of temptations and trials like Never before. Young men, spirit of slumber, like trials and temptations, never before. Why is God allowing it? Because he's raising up a generation of overcomers who will come through it victorious. That's why the temptations of Jesus Christ, after that 40 days, we looked at it in yesterday's meeting. Why is it given in so much detail? doctrinal detail to show what the overcomers will have to overcome. Why? Because Jesus was not tempted by a demon. He was not tempted by a ruler. He was not tempted by a power of darkness. He was not tempted by a principality. He was tempted by Satan. The greatest power on the other side. And he overcame. Without, without blinking, he overcame. And he says, learn from that, overcome us. Because he is the first overcome who overcame everything. So we saw what temptations are. Yesterday, if you were there in First John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world. Half the hearts have sunk. Or the things in the world, the other half has sunk. If anyone loves the world, now panic is hitting. The love of the Father is not in them. 
Now the smart ones are defining what is world and what is not world. This is not world. That in my cupboard is not world. This is not the world. This is kingdom. Throw away whatever God tells you is the world. Throw it away. Okay, I'll send you free garbage bags. For all that is in the world. Ayyo, Lord. Why did you put this all? You could have put some, right? All. God is very good with English, have you noticed? All that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So God takes everything in the world, divides into three categories. What is it? Lust of the flesh. Why is this important? Because we are living in a generation unlike any generation, where every lust of the flesh virtually can be satisfied in privacy with a click of a button even if you don't physically own it. You want to buy? You want to enjoy a dress? Put your picture on it. Buy the dress. Photoshop. You look like that. Didn't you enjoy it? Cyber reality. They teach in the university. Cyber reality. They teach in this university cyber sexuality. You can have sex with any woman in the cyber world. Just do it virtually. Do you know what the lust of the flesh a generation will have to battle? Because every food, everything in this world, you can actually enjoy virtually. It's a virtual world. It's real. It's absolutely real. The lust of the flesh. What is available today? Our grandparents did not know. We only know from theory. These children know. They are good at apps. Very good. God says, can you come through that? Can you come through that? The lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. What is that your eye want to see? Imagine. Available on Google. What is that your eye want to see? It's not about whether it is good or bad. It is available. It's available. Question God says, can you resist? Can you overcome? Pride of life. Pride of life. Do you know what pride of life is? How it is defined in this generation. In the year 2015, if my data is correct, nobody can actually collect real data on this thing. 50 billion selfies were uploaded on the internet in 2015. 50,000,000 billion selfies. Pride of life. What's selfie all about? It's about self. That's why it's called selfie. Marks a generation. Fifty billion. Every week, including yesterday, you will see two died, three died while taking a selfie. Because it's no longer about taking a selfie in your room. I have to take a selfie from a moving train. I have to stand at the edge of the cliff. It's all about pride of life, showing what I can do. Every week they die, taking selfies. A generation. You can be anything. You may know how to sing. You may not know how to sing. You sing it, upload it in YouTube. And even if you, nobody watches, you keep watching. 
selfie. You see what the devil has done to a generation? God says, when this is all happening, he will have a set apart, a sanctified, powerful generation who will come through it all, not glorifying self, but glorifying Christ. He said, in the midst of this, I will have another generation. People, young ones, understand what I am talking. The older ones may under, may not, if you are not tech savvy, may not understand. You see, I am not tech savvy. The one thing the Lord told me 30 years ago, or less than 30 years ago, when I first started as a young man, my career has teaching in a classroom. He told me one thing. Be one step ahead of your students. You, they don't have to like you. They don't have to dislike you. You want to earn the respect of your students. Be one step ahead of them. No better than them. Uh, always read up. Read up anything that's, how does it define, how does the market operate, how does it go, so that you know when you are talking to somebody, this is what is happening. You don't need to experience it. Let me explain to you what's happening in July. Parents may not understand, young ones, smiles will come. There's a new game called Pokemon Go. It's demonic. Because Pokemon comes from the word pocket monster. It's an original thing. When our children were small, they had Pokemon coming in. Now that's not enough. Pokemon has to go. It's an app. It's a game. July 6th, it was released. In six days, it was the most active mobile game in history. In US alone, 21 million downloads. Six days. When a whole world is going through crisis and bomb blast, what do you think the young people are doing? They are not bothered. They are on Pokemon Go. There are people who resign from their jobs just to play Pokemon Go. Have you read the papers? You think this is normal? Let me tell you something else. The name of that place, okay? Sokcho. Sokcho is in Korea. Between North Korea and South Korea, but in Korea. This game is not released in Korea. Korea is the most addict nation in the world when it comes to gaming. Sokcho, a small little area between North Korea and South Korea, closer to North Korea, by a glitch in the system, this game was available. Every bus, every transport in South Korea, especially from Seoul, Seoul City, is booked to Sokcho. So the young people are sitting in that area where this application is available so they can play. Tens and thousands. Do we understand this generation? And yet, we claim South Korea is the most Christian nation in the East. Most spirit-filled nation. After North America, they send the most number of missionaries around the world. Yet, an addict nation. China, Google server, are banned by a firewall. I can tell you technology and I can tell you theory. You want to know applications? Ask these people. Okay? Don't ask me what is all this, how you block Google with this firewall and all. I don't know. I only know the Firefox from Samsung's days. <laughs> you know what the players in China did? They bought Australian IDs 
on the Apple Store and used a GPS spoofing application to use Google to play Pokemon Go. Do you know the intensity and the craving in the hearts of young people? But when it comes to the word of God, nah. You need to realize what's happening. The different generation have no clue. It's been released on the earth. Demonic entities have been cast down and they are using their powers through men and women and technology to captivate an entire generation and God says there will be absolute darkness. Moral, spiritual, ethical. Yet God says, I will have my generation in their midst. Ah, people like the world has never seen. And God says, when this darkness covers this earth, my light will shine upon them. These are the people who have appropriated the power of God. These are the people, a generation who understood the day of the Lord, understood and worked willingly, obediently through that to appropriate the power of God. Upon them, again connected with the last days and the day of the Lord, the last chapter in the Old Testament, Malachi 4 will say, For behold, the day is coming. What is the day coming? A day burning like an oven. Can you imagine? Honestly, the day is coming, burning like an oven and everybody is playing Pokemon. But the day is coming, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, you can deny it. It's not going to go away. It is coming. Every second I speak, it is only getting closer. It's not getting further. It's coming. What's the day going to be like? Burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. He said, nothing will be left. Their descendants also will be cut off. It will be completely over. But you who fear my name, he says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings over you, he says. He will keep on rising. You will be healed and delivered more and more and more and more and more. Remember, he says, the first day and the second day, he says, I shall do cures. I shall deliver. On the third day, I shall be perfected. He says, I will rise. And how will you go? You shall go out strong like stall-fed calves. He said, on one side destruction is coming. People are not bothered. They have been captivated by the demonic host because they never built their life on the foundations of God and never worked towards it. But he says, on the other side, I am building another set of people over whom the son of righteousness is rising with healing under his wings. Two sides of the gospel. Believe, church, believe. And you shall trample the wicked. You shall. The righteous. Okay, we shall leave that. So this is the day of preparation. This is the day of readiness. You don't waste these days. You don't waste these hours. You don't waste this time. This is the days of preparation. The days of readiness for that day that is coming. If you study scripture, every dispensation, when it is finishing, produced grades. When the first day of the Lord in terms of judgment, Noah's flood came, it produced Noah and his family who came through judgment has overcome us. Even in that, there are three categories. What are the three categories? Shem, hundredfold, Japheth, sixtyfold, and Ham, failed. 
That's why we keep him between bread. I have never heard anybody saying I had a shem ham sandwich. Sandwich, okay? I always hear people saying I had a ham sandwich. Every dispensation at the end when it's finishing produces grapes. Nor his family. Another dispensation is going to finish after the flood. Law is going to come. The age before the law is going to finish. Law is about to begin. And you have an incredible generation called the Joshua generation. Right? The time of judges is going to finish. It's getting worse, 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 worse. Darkness is spreading, darkness spreading. Then the middle of it, before that dispensation is over, who comes? Samuel comes, the greatest of the judges. Who anoints two kings. The time of law is finished and it is finishing, finishing its dark, 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 dark to the point between Malachi and Matthew. God has not spoken to the world for 400 years. Darkness has covered. The dispensation of the law is coming to an end and the law produces the greatest born of woman under the old covenant. What is his name? John. And then who begins? Jesus begins. Are you getting the picture? And when law ended, grace produced the apostolic age. Now the age of grace is about to end. The age of the kingdom is about to begin. So in Romans, which one is that? 8 and verse 19. 8.19, what does Paul have to tell us? The Holy Spirit through Paul has, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That's what they are waiting. All of creation knows this age is ending. Grace age is almost over. Kingdom is beginning. It will be no more God understands in the kingdom age. It is Christ rules with a scepter of irons with his overcoming sons and daughters. And all of creation knows Christ, but they are waiting for the revealing of the sons of Christ. Right? When you had your baby who came to your labor room, outside, pastor, or my wife, or a couple of friends, but when Prince William's wife, Kate, had her baby, did you see the TV crew outside? Why? The next heir to the throne. That is nothing compared to this. The entire angelic host is waiting to see who are the sons of God, the overcomers. All of creation is waiting to know who they are. Even Jesus... When he comes, there are different things he does when he comes. Or what happens when Jesus comes in the lives of the overcomers? You know what Second Thessalonians 1.10 says? It says, when he comes in that day, for what? To be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. In that in that day. How long is a day in scriptural parlance? A thousand year reign of Jesus. Jesus will be glorified in the overcoming saints. 
and he will be admired by saying, did you see Saint Peter? Saint Seeker? Because Christ is being glorified because they are overcomers. He will be glorified in his saints. In his saints. And to be admired among all those who believe. From the first age, Abel or Adam onwards, all the way down, they will look at these overcoming sons of God and said, wow, Christ's work was completed in this generation. Wow, that's what we should have been like. That's what we should have been like. That's what we wanted to be like, but we couldn't. This generation did. We understand what God is. That's why scripture says, eyes haven't seen or ears heard what God is preparing for those who love him. The gospel is not just getting out of hell and going into heaven. It's much, much bigger than that. In Luke 7 and verse 28, Jesus says about, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. He says, all in the Old Testament, this is the big boss, John the Baptist. But he says, even the least in the kingdom potentially can be greater than the greatest in the Old Testament. But even Jesus laments. But what can we do? What can we, what can we do to rouse up, wake up this generation? Raising my voice will only wake up from your slumber. That doesn't raise you from your spiritual sleep. You know what Jesus himself says in verse 33 and 34? He says, Lord said, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? What can I say about this generation? What are they like? They are like the children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. What? We played the flute for you. You did not dance. We moaned, played the dirge or the funeral song. You did not weep. But do we say it in English? Whether you use the carrot or the stick, it makes no difference to this generation. God says, you can't move them. You tell them about the love of God, the sacrifice of God, the cross of God. Ah, nice. And they go, they forget. Back to Pokemon go. You tell about the judgment of God, the fire of God, and the fiery hells and eternal judgment. They say, huh? And they back to Pokemon go. He says, what can we do? That's what he's saying. We mourn for you. You did not weep. We sang for you. You won't dance. Nothing moves a generation. Completely taken over. Verse 33, 34. For the John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. Son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say he's a glutton. What is he saying? He says, whether I preach you the gospel of austerity, or whether I preach you the gospel of prosperity, it makes no difference to you. You will not receive the gospel. Why? Because I like Pokemon Go. Go, God says go. This is the truth. That's what God is saying. Yet, the next word says, 35 says, if I'm right, that's what I gave, did I give it? But wisdom is justified by all our children. 
but in that there is this generation of wise they know the times they know the hour they know god's promises they know the temptations they know the trials and how do you know they know they are justified by her children the wisdom of god god will birth children who are overcomers and god they were ready and they were preparing in the day of preparation when jesus overcame temptation why did jesus overcome temptation because he was endured with power from above that's what we saw yesterday and last wednesday too are you looking at it remember we need power that's what the holy spirit is given for gifts are for ministry power is for witnessing witnessing is not is not to another but the overcoming life of jesus is appropriated in me through the power of the holy spirit and what are the other thing that he used to overcome the devil he fasted did you know that he fasted he fasted 40 days you don't have to fast 40 days but you have to fast as the spirit directs you he was endowed with the holy spirit You must say, I am full of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to fast. Jesus fasted after being filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you fast? Or do you need to start buckling after missing one meal? Does it? Can you fast? So when he had fasted, I mean endowed with power, because of the fasting, when the temptation came, it had no sensual appeal to his senses and because of the power he could reject the devil's words he had the word he had the spirit and he had fasted from sensual things and he knew how to use the word of god and he's telling us this is the way you overcome learn how to overcome from the master he was full of the word he was the word that became flesh continue filling yourself with the word he was full of the spirit continue emptying and keep filling yourself with the holy spirit and three fast from things that touches your appetite whatever it is when trials came Remember the trials here I'm teaching you how we follow that path when trials came when the hour of darkness was coming for him before he would emerge through the darkness into the light of the resurrection how did the first overcomer win because how he did how he overcame is our way peter says he has showed us a way go that way What is that he did? Note. Matthew 26 verse 38 and 39. He said to them, "My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me." Verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, "Oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will." How did he overcome? We have to walk where Jesus walked. we'll see a set of people let us say 11 disciples and jesus jesus says watch and pray with me and he goes further and he prays and he cries out when he comes these are asleep he says 
If your prayer walk is only to the level of the disciples and not the level of the first apostle, you will not overcome. You will not overcome when the hour of darkness comes. A disciple is a learner. An apostle is a sent out one. I'm not talking about the office. An apostle is a sent out one. Jesus is the first apostle of our faith, the sent out one. He says, learn from his prayer life. It's not enough. It is not enough. When the hour of darkness comes, he says, you will fall asleep. Can we be sent by the Father like Jesus was sent? It's only after the resurrection the disciples became apostles. In John 20 and verse 21, Jesus said, Peace to you as the Father has sent me, I send you. Question, can we endure what's coming? Can you handle the pressure that is coming? Yesterday we looked at it for the pastor's conference. I showed them a little of it. Because here everybody in this generation, in the Christendom, because First Corinthians 12.28, you don't have to turn there, scripture says, in the church, first of all, is what? Apostle. So everybody puts a title, I am apostle so and so from Nigeria, from Uganda, from America, Canada. It's a position, big position, because it says, first of all. That Paul says, do you know the experience of an apostle? How he comes, overcomes. He says in First Corinthians chapter 4, for I think God has displayed us the apostles last. Displayed. Not an item of trophy, but an item of shame to the world, trophy to the kingdom of God. He says, men condemned to death, for we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to the angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, you are strong. You are distinguished, we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed, beaten and homeless. And we labor. Working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. And being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. I asked the pastors yesterday, how many of you want to be called an apostle now? Your name will be dragged through the mud. You will be accused, beaten. You will, they do everything to you. Will you stand there firm till the end? That is the sent out ones. First pressure comes. I'm over. I'm not going to church anymore. It's okay. God says, what overcome? He says, forget about overcoming. We are talking about ministry. Sent out ones. He says, can you survive what is coming? That's the overcomers. They did not love their lives unto death. He says, this is what we are. He says, your prayer life has to be defined by that prayer life. Head of the prayers of disciples because disciples are learners. Second, Luke twenty two forty. He came to the place and he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. It should be our prayer too. You would be incredibly foolish, as mentioned. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11 and 12, all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom, what has come? Ends of the ages has come. He says, all this written for our sake. And what is the warning? Therefore, let him who thinks 
he stands, take heed lest he falls. He said, this should be your prayer. What's your prayer? Luke 22, 14. Lord, deliver me from temptation. No one is so strong on his own that he can resist temptation. I was telling the pastors, do you know one of the greatest, probably, not probably, one of the greatest of Russian novelists, incredible man called Leo Tolstoy, died at the age of 82. And at 82, when he was asked what is his greatest struggle, he said, lust. Pray that you may not enter into, enter into temptation. God says, this should be your prayer in the last days because the last days you are going to be tempted like no other time because everything is virtual. Everything virtual, available. You're, you can, beyond your wildest dreams, as they say, everything is available. And God says, pray, deliver me, Lord, deliver me. And second thing, along with that, don't make an idol of your temptation. When you make an idol of your temptation, you are saying that, this is too strong for me, I can never overcome. The next verse we'll say in Corinthians, which we looked, 10.13, God says, no temptation has overtaken you, except that is such is common to man. Don't tell me my temptation is too strong. God says, no, it is not. Don't cop out. Don't make excuses, because God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. He says, no. It's not true, he says. He says, I am there. If you have built on your foundations and do exactly what I tell you to do, he says, it doesn't matter. You can overcome. Just you can overcome. Because I am an overcomer. And I have shown you Christ always overcomes. He always overcomes. Third thing. Luke twenty-two twenty-four. Luke twenty two twenty four. It's not uh twenty two twenty four. It's that words where Jesus yeah, we, we read it already where he says Not my will, but your will be done. God says, as you look around and see trouble falling in every area of life, darkness spreading, fear and uncertainty coming. Your cry and my cry is not Lord spare me, but Lord, spare me, yes. But if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But, because Lord, the people cry, Lord, let this cup pass away from me. God says, fine. You're not an overcomer. You're an escapist. And I being a father will allow you to escape. Go. What does it mean? You drive prematurely before you're overcoming. Go. Death is a doorway. Escape. Go. Because I'll take you home. Isn't that what Elijah said? Elijah said, I want to die. I am no better than my father's. He said, you have a prophetic implication, Elijah. You are supposed to come in the last days, stand in Jerusalem, preach, bring the Jews back to you, and then die like a martyr and rise up again. You want to die now? You want to die now? You are destined for greater things. You are not supposed to die now. I have great purpose for you. So, Lord, take this cup away from me. Fine. But... But Lord, not my will, your will. Spare me, but your will. 
That's what Revelation 12-11 means. They did not love their lives unto death. Because so many people, when trouble comes, they first cry, take me out of this. Overcomers are not escapists. They overcome. The first overcomer, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, Lord, take this cup, but it's your will, not mine. When the multitudes came to the garden to get Jesus, he looked them literally in the eye, unflinching. And he told them in Luke 22 and verse 53, he said, your hour is now. What did he say? Your hour. This is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour. Power of darkness. He said, if they come to take you, he said, are you afraid? He said, you cannot touch me unless my father had given into you my hands. You are not in control. Systems are not in control in the lives of God's overcomers. Administrations, the police, the army, they are not in control. He says, my father in heaven is in control. You cannot touch me unless he has handed over to you. This is your hour. I'm giving you myself to you, but you cannot touch me. You have been allowed to touch me. Do you see your destiny like that? That's what he's saying. It's your hour. When the hour of the power of darkness comes, two things happen. Jesus told Peter, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. You know the rooster crows just before the breaking of dawn. The hour of darkness is the hour before the breaking of dawn, before the light of God is revealed. Two things will happen then. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 says, In that hour of greatest darkness the earth had seen, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes. What will happen? All those weak, compromising Christians will all cop out. They'll leave. They will give, I'm not saying they leave the church. They will leave the faith. A lot of churches are not built on faith. They're built on fancies. They believe. But the ones who know the truth have been prepared and they have stayed there rooted in the truth. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. One of the dioceses in, uh, in US, the Methodist diocese, this week has voted, the congregation has voted to make an openly gay lady their bishop. So what are Methodists going to do? Stay or leave? Oh, that's my church. My grandfather will stay and die. Because this is cancer. It is metastasizing. It's just diocese. When the canon law of the Methodist church says you cannot do it, the diocese says we will do it. What are you going to do to us? We have elected our own bishop. One a lady, two openly gay. And we are a church and we will gather under her leadership for worship. Who are you worshipping? It's spreading. The cancer is spreading. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. That's why tough people will take tough choices. I'll just give you one example. That's all. There are plenty happening around the world. I will read. You just pray. I will let you know as it is happening and unfolding. God says a great falling away comes first. People will fall away from the faith. And the man of sin is revealed. Who will say good is bad. Light is dark and dark is light. 
everything chalega and god says when the power of darkness comes and the hour of darkness comes jesus was taken he says you too will be taken he was brought before the priests and pilate jesus told us beforehand when that happens when that happens he says don't worry in mark 13 and verse 11 he says when they arrest you and deliver you up do not worry don't run around for bail instead god will tell you what to say that's what it means when darkness covers we think when darkness covers the whole earth your light shall shine upon you think we shall walk on the streets with a halo behind our head god says that's not what it means when darkness comes in and covers the whole earth and you are picked up and brought before the rulers of this world before courts and judges magistrates he says you don't worry i will tell you what to speak then then the gentiles will see my light in you that's what it means that's what it means he said you don't have to worry i am with you and i will stand by you and i'll give an answer what to say they may implicate you but they will be convicted they know they have seen light and they are rejecting the light because they love darkness but they will not be able to deny it on that day when they stand before me because you don't worry that's what happened jesus was taken Pilate what did he say in Luke 23:4 what did he say he said Pilate said to the chief priest and the crowd you know what i find no fault in this man i find no fault in this man why is he saying this he saw jesus after brutally beaten night of wretchedness broken physically standing there quiet quiet demeanor not shaken by the powers of darkness and he says you know what i see no guilt in him i see no guilt in him on the cross after judged to die on the cross and he is lying over there ministering to people finally he dies roman centurion says this truly was the son of god do we see that's what god is saying All the years of his life the zealous pharisee called Saul of Tarsus was zealous for Yahweh and then one day he saw Stephen preach he saw Stephen die after that he was restless he knew this is real and i am not so on the road to damascus when jesus arrested him in the vision the first thing god tells Saul is don't kick against the goats what is the goat the goat is what is used to bring an animal to its place he says that day you saw stephen die right your conscience is pricking right my faith is not real stop kicking it surrender to me young man because the light of god has shone upon him and you have seen the darkness of your soul three more days you need to see the darkness of your soul before you can be released to light that's what god means we may be not acquitted in the court of man but we have to be acquitted in the court of god and we will be if god says you remain faithful till the end that's why in the last epistle jude will tell us in verse 20 and 21 but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith Do you ever think about the faith we preach the faith we talk about the bible we read the bible which brings in the faith did you think about it has the most holy faith and build on it 
and praying in the Holy Spirit, cutting through that realm. Pray in the Spirit and build your faith. Did we see it that way? He says, do it. He says, that's what he says, do it. Why? Because he says, learn from all the events in the Bible. God doesn't change. In Genesis 6.3, it is written, my spirit will not contend with man forever. My spirit. My spirit shall not contend with man forever. Isn't it there on the other side? Yeah, it's not there. I have given it all in detail. My spirit shall not strive with man forever. God says, I strive his plead. God's spirit is pleading. Contenting with God's people. Where they can come to the place where they can inherit the kingdom. That's why the spirit of God through the book of Revelation will say, overcome, 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 overcome. Those who have ears, let them hear. Who is pleading? Through a thousand voices around the world from pulpits. Who is pleading? It's the Holy Spirit who is pleading. Strive. I cannot strive with you forever because the Father has set a day which is called the day of the Lord. Come in. Come in now. Establish yourself in the most holy faith so that you can be an overcomer because the overcome inherits everything. Finally in Revelation 21.17 he says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. This is what the Holy Spirit is pleading. He's not pleading for salvation. He's pleading with God's people to overcome temptations and trials. Because in Christ, everyone has the potential to be an heir, to inherit the kingdom. Heirs of the promise. For all these generations, they were looking for that. Yet, scripture says in Galatians 4, 1 and 2, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. He says, in the kingdom of God, there are three kinds of people. Children, servants, and sons. Sons inherit, the rest will remain. Enjoy the estate, it's not yours. It was meant for you. But you didn't grow up to take authority. You didn't grow up to reign with my son for a thousand years. You didn't grow up. He says, don't remain a child. He says, you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the revealed scriptures. You have it all. And I am with you. And I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will be with you till the very end. Overcome. He says, learn to obey. Learn to be led by God. That's what Revelation, Romans 8, 13 and 14 says. Now I say, if you live according to the flesh, you will If you are moved by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life, you will know what will happen. He says, if you keep on playing Pokemon, go, 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 one day, one day, you will trip and fall into hell. You can't play there because your gadget will be burned up. But you will be still playing in eternity because it's stuck in your mind. You will be playing without a gadget all of eternity. You will be. Without ever having the pleasure of finishing their game. Forever and ever. These are realities of the Bible. And you have to be sometimes to be brutally honest to see where people are heading. God says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
And next verse, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Doesn't matter where you are. Start today. Say, Lord, help me. I, I, I want to overcome. I heard the message. I want to overcome. I want to finish this. I don't want to die. And I want to love. I want to overcome. I want to inherit. I know there's terrible suffering in this for the body, for the flesh, for the mind, for the eyes. But Lord, I want to die to that and live unto you. Otherwise we won't hear. That's what happened. Matthew 25 and verse 5. While the bridegroom delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Who delayed? The day of the Lord was delayed. One set in the world, scoffers arising. Where is this Lord you are talking about? That's not talking about, this is talking about the separated church. When the bridegroom delayed, they all, who are these? The ten virgins. They all slumbered and they slept. In that ten, there was one group. What is that group? The first five who are called foolish, but foolish virgins. Meaning they are separated. Oh, they didn't defile. Their doctrine was perfect. But they were not separated unto God. What is their problem? When the day came, they realized Holy Spirit isn't there. You need to realize something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. If your righteousness is only as good as the righteousness of the best Hindu around, some of them are much righteous than us, that is undefiled, God says, you quenched my Holy Spirit. I didn't ask you to be good. I asked you to be obedient. I asked you to be obedient. That's our problem. First Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20, do not quench the spirit. How do you quench the spirit? Next verse. Do not despise prophecies. It's a prophetic word that is being preached or you hear. But what do you do? You despise the prophecy and you quench the spirit. But are you good? Yes. Absolutely good. You don't lie. You don't steal. You work hard. You go to church once once a week. You do all that. You're not bad. You're good. You're a virgin. Undefiled. But you slumbered. And you quench the Holy Spirit. And when that day came, you realize there is no oil. There is no oil. This is the problem. Church, good people start getting sleeping in their goodness without actually obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. God says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. And the more you obey, the more it will be given. The more you empty, the more I will fill. The more I fill, the more you will be able to obey. And the one who obeyed to the most was Jesus Christ. And scripture says he was filled without measure. And so it's possible for any one of you. Anyone. The ten slept. Five woke up to realize I am out on that day. Five woke up to see that I am in. All ten slept. That's strange. Lord, you are not fair. You are not fair. Johan is also sleeping. He is also sleeping. You are only calling Johan. Johan is not sleeping. I am just using an example. He's wide awake today. It's a surprise. <laughs> okay, But it's a good surprise. Pleasant surprise. But I am saying, say, that's not fair. Johan also slept. Andrew also slept. But Johan got in. Andrew is out. It's not fair, Lord. All slept, right? 
with that sleep we shall stop and awake not go back to sleep okay in the book of acts there is a picture a very prophetic picture of all who slept and woke up to a different destiny in acts chapter 12 and verse 6 i mean herod was about to bring him out that night peter was sleeping for peter next day was the day of the lord he was going to be slaughtered okay he was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison door all were sleeping got it peter is sleeping guards are sleeping other guards are sleeping everybody is sleeping outward you look all are sleeping what happened the angel came the day of judgment for peter became the day of deliverance peter wake up put on your clothes walk through the sleeping people get out and go into your destiny what happened to those who slept the others verse 19 when herod had searched for him and not found him he examined the guards commanded they should be put to death where they sleep the same no peter's sleep was a sleep that comes from knowing you have the rest of god spirit is full i have obeyed i can go to sleep i am clear about my destiny everybody slept but they woke up to a different destiny that's what god is talking about 10 virgins outwardly you look they are all innocent peter is also innocent the guards are also innocent they are all sleeping innocently but the sleep is not the same peter goes to life though he slept the guards are executed because they slept what does it mean why were the guards executed because they were not watchful am i right why was peter delivered though he slept because he was spiritually watchful and what is jesus last words to us about to prepare for the last days be watchful simple be watchful and pray be watchful be watchful it's very simple spiritually be watchful ask yourself scripture talks about so many things so many so many things am i watchful to obey scripture says when the day you know the days approaching keep gathering more and more or are you become one day christian you are not watchful you are paving your own destruction why because you have allowed pressure or something else pleasure whatever take you away you are going against scripture because that's connected with the day of the lord coming so you are not prepared everywhere god has foundations what are you building on god's foundations or man's foundations whenever people come for i'm coming to be close okay people come for marriage counseling oh about to get married first thing you ask is what is your foundation what is the first foundation of marriage within the church god says do not be unequally yoked with a unbeliever your first foundation is wrong ask for trouble your house will shake agree that's the first foundation if the first foundation is wrong your house is already being built to shake 
Second foundation, leave your father and mother. No, I have to stay with mommy. God says, say, your house will be shaken. Third foundation, cleave to your spouse. Do you? No. These are all foundational stones of any structure you build. And he says, you build anything else. When the shaking takes place, it will fall apart. Is it falling apart? Everywhere it's falling apart. Homes are falling apart. Marriages are falling apart. Churches are falling apart. Everything is falling apart. Why? God says it's not meant to fall apart. Now rebuild. 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 Put by faith things that come first. What is written? And the spirit is given to those who obey. It will be difficult. But he says you don't worry. It is possible. Why? There is something that is incredibly important for us. We need to understand from Jesus said. He said, learn of me. I am meek and lowly. My yoke is and my burden is not. If the burden you are bearing is burdensome, it is not from God. And you are not yoked to God. Because he made it very clear. My burden is light. If you are trying to bear something on your own, it is heavy. It is heavy. God never told us you need to carry anything on your own. Either you say cast your burdens or I will help you to carry it. That was the first mistake that Moses made. He said this burden is too much for me. These people. Too much for me. Really? Who told you they were your burden? They are my burden. I heard a preacher say that most people don't know when to say no. They only know how to say yes. Moses is sitting, judging Israel. One family comes, my wife doesn't listen to me. Okay, do this. Next one comes. Morning to Lord, this is too much for me. God said, you don't know when to say no. Who told you it's your burden? Too much for me. God said, okay, fine. Too much for you? Okay, fine. I'll take your spirit, put it on. 70. Burden gone? Your burden gone? Is your burden gone? Yes, Lord, I feel very light. He said, you wait. You are the lawgiver. And one day it will be written, law came through Moses. And grace came through Jesus Christ. Law brought death. Grace brought life. Because you said, this burden is too much for me. I am taking your burden and putting on 70 others. These 70 others will metamorphosize one day into the Sanhedrin. And they, using the law, will kill grace. But grace will triumph. You said the burden is too much, right? What you have started will result in the death of my son. He says, no burden is too hard. Nothing is too hard. God said, you have to carry nothing on your own. I am with you. I am with you. We find it heavy. Either it's our burden or we are not asking God to help us and we are not obeying him. It is very near. Very, very near. Very near. That's what, how he summed up yesterday. Scripture says, I who inhabit in eternity. God who inhabits eternity, which is not fully doctrinally true, though he says, for your sake, I'm putting it that way, because even eternity cannot hold it. He says, I who inhabit eternity, also 
inhabits in the heart of one who is lowly and contrite. So who was the lowliest and contrite man who ever walked on earth? Jesus Christ. Therefore the father filled him to the brim. That's why he says, you don't understand children. It is good to be meek and lowly because he comes and lives in you. Then no burden is heavy. No burden is heavy. That's why scripture says, beware of the pride of life. Beware of the pride of life. He says, it's pride that stands against meekness. Beware of the pride of life. Because proudful people do not obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. I can do it. It's too much for me. And God has to deal with those things. And God's desire for us is our victory. He's a father. He's a father. He's a father. And you think about it, him saying, if you being evil fathers know how to give your children good things. Ask my son. As far as I know, I only got got good things for him. Good, better, best. And I'm an evil father according to God's word. Who gives his son good things. He says, how much more will your father in heaven give you what? Give you what? Open your mouth, what? Is that what you need? And that's all you need. We don't need anything more to overcome. He says, I will give you my spirit, my own spirit, and I will give you without measure. And he says, you will overcome. You will overcome. You will overcome. And he says, the proof is resurrection. He says, it is the power of the Holy Spirit which raised Jesus from the death. That's the power I give you. That's why Paul says, I want to know the resurrection of Christ first. The power of the Holy Spirit and the death of Christ. Not the death first. The resurrection first. He died, he rose again. I rise again and then learn to die each day. I need his resurrection power first. Every day God says, my spirit is there for you. Amen. Rishi, can we have? Worship team. Come, Rish. Shall we stand up? We shall sing. Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and unto the And glory, wisdom, and death, honor, and power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever. Praise and glory, praise and glory.
Some may be infants, some may be small, some may be young, but all children. We come to the Father, our Father, the Shepherd of our souls, the Overseer, the Apostle of our faith. We come to you. And we just surrender this morning at your feet as we are. We do not have the power to change ourselves, but you have. You said you do not have because you do not ask. Today we ask, oh Lord, give us more of your spirit. More of your spirit, oh God. We need more. Empty us, oh Lord. We do not even know how to empty ourselves. But you promised us in the word, I shall circumcise your heart that you may love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your spirit. And you said through your apostle Paul, O Lord, the Jew, a true Jew is the one whose heart has been circumcised by the Spirit, Spirit of God. We give you control. We plead you, Lord, that circumcise our heart of everything that is of flesh from the heart. Circumcise, remove it, however painful it may be, however troublesome it may be, however scary it may be. Do it alone. Like the patient who goes under the surgeon's scalpel, scared, afraid, yet submits himself to that sword. We too submit to the sword of the Spirit, O Lord. Take it out, Lord, one day at a time. Take it out. Remove those things that block our inheritance. Remove those things that stop us from moving into a God-ordained destiny, O Father. Because you said even before the creation of the world, we were chosen. We were called for knowledge of God. Predestined to confirm to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the image of the first overcomer. You had chosen us to become overcomers. Not to be defeated. Not to be lost. But to be overcomers. And everything that stands between us and our victory in the spirit. I pray, Father, you remove. And I take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I command every stealer of our destiny. Every power of darkness. Every ruler, every principality, demonic hordes that has been released upon earth. But your word says the Lord and we confess your word and we speak it to the devil. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. That's your promise. That is the confession we make. The power of the Holy Spirit in us is power over all the power of the enemy. You said you shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall behold by no means harm us, O God. We proclaim your victory in our lives. That the powers of darkness do not have power to harm us, but we are victorious over them. Oh Father, the day of the Lord is near and you have said the God of peace shall crush Satan very soon under our feet. 
because it brings you great glory and great honor to see the children of the kingdom crushing the head of the arch enemy of God. Oh Father, I pray, faith will arise, faith will arise and we will walk in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit and wherever we go, your light will rise upon us, it will shine upon us and as darkness covers the earth more and more, the Gentiles shall see your light in us. That's your life in us and they will come to us Lord, asking the reason for our hope. The reason for our peace. The reason for our joy. The reason for our song. As Paul and Silas sang in the prison, the prisoners were listening because they did not know the reason for their song. When everybody cried, they sang because they had a different spirit in them, O God. And that's the same spirit that you have given us that even in chains, even in jailhouses, we sing. So the Gentiles will see the life of Christ in us, O God. And I pray, Father, your people, we will walk in that strength. We will walk in that peace. We will walk in that joy. We will grow in our righteousness. And the kingdom of God will be established in us. And when the shaking comes, when everything around us is being shaken and will be shaken, we will not be shaken because we are receiving and we have received the kingdom that cannot be shaken, O oh God. Let it be the truth for everyone, O oh Master. Help us in our infirmities. Help us in our weakness. Help us to lean on to you and not to our understanding, O oh God. I speak your peace over lives, over homes. Let your peace guard every heart of God. Their struggles help them. In their sicknesses heal them. In their bondages deliver them. Meet each one Lord at their point of need. Because we have looked up to the heavens. From there our help comes from. The maker of heaven and earth. It's to you, to you alone that we look Lord. Thank you Father. I bless your holy name, Father, this morning. I bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.